This is an ABC podcast. The Chinese-owned social media platform TikTok is all the rage these days. The platform started off in 2016 and snowballed a few years later when millions of teens all around the world jumped on board its dance challenges. Now, in 2023, TikTok is where many people seek out fame and fortune for all sorts of things. And no longer is it enough to bust out some dance moves to get noticed. Believe it or not, crocodile wrangling has become a thing. Crikey, have a go at the size of their teeth. Smash! Today, in Townsville in Queensland, an amateur crocodile wrangler faced court after he posted his exploits to TikTok. We're going to take you there. I'm Sinead Mangan, and this is Australia Wide, coming to you from Wadjuk Country, Perth. While refugee advocates have welcomed the federal government's decision to allow 19,000 people who are on temporary protection visas to apply for permanency, there's still roughly 12,000 others living in limbo. They're asylum seekers on short-term bridging visas or, in some cases, no visa at all. Among them are 17 men from Bangladesh who for years have been living in the Queensland farming community of Gatton. You get $400 a month and that's it? Yes, for rent, for food, for uh, everything. <clears throat> yeah, rent and food, everything. And as Nathan Morris reports, the men have no work rights and are surviving on a $400 monthly charity payment. And a note, we have changed their names to protect their identity. It's another weekday morning and Bangladeshi asylum seeker Kabir is calling into his local news agent where he's been using the printing services. Actually, I, I was helping many parents to apply in the federal circuit court and federal court. So I have to always come in here. How boss, how are you? Well, how are you? Yeah, thank you. Over the years, he's become friendly with the owner, Daryl Spicer. He helped a lot of people with the paperwork for, you know, visas and stuff. Do you, do you know that they have no visa? Are you aware of the um, situation? Yeah, I, I, yeah, not full on, but I do know he's been fighting it for a long time and a lot of other people as well. And I thought by now he would have had some sort of thing done on your behalf but still nothing. I'm very surprised there at how come it why it gets held up. I mean I don't understand. You know he has good English, he's been a part of the community for us so like a normal person for that long. Kabir is one of 17 Bangladeshi men living in Gatton who came to Australia by boat in 2013. Their claims for political asylum have been dismissed but they haven't been deported. And for years, they've been living in Gatton, west of Brisbane, with no visa, no work rights and no access to Medicare. Kabir's next stop is a share house where three other Bangladeshi men live. There are broken windows, heavily stained walls and the ceiling is swollen from water leaks. The rent is about to be raised to $300 a week. Saju is one of the men living here. So every month you're surviving on money from Red Cross, is that right? Yes, every month and $400. You get $400 a month and that's it? Yes. For rent, for food, for Uh, everything? Yeah, rent and food, everything. And so have electronics bill and gas bill and water bill. How are you going at the moment? Uh, Actually, not good. The so-so is good and bad. Is, is that the hardest thing, trying to make keep your mind strong and not feel hopeless? Uh, sometimes mind is strong, sometimes mind is not as strong. 
With time on their hands, meals together are something to look forward to. And the men share lunch. We're going to persist with making people go through the system. Um, The key priorities are making sure people have access to bridging visas and work rights and Medicare while they're going through that process. Daniel Gezelbash is an associate professor and the deputy director of the Caldor Centre for International Refugee Law at the University of New South Wales in Sydney. He said of the roughly 12,000 asylum seekers still living in limbo, there were about 2,500 people who, like the men in Gatton, were living with no visa. This group of asylum seekers were subject to a refugee determination process known as Fast Track. It's an expedited system that Daniel Gezelbash argues is flawed and unfair. So a lot of these decisions are just made on the paper. So it would be somebody looking over the case file, looking at the information before the initial decision maker and making a determination based on that. He said a significant number of these departmental decisions have been overturned. Last stats that we ran, I think it was around 35% of cases were being successful in that judicial review. And that's really indicated that does not happen in any, any other area of administrative decision making in Australia. It's really indicative of the fact that there's a serious problem. In a statement, the Department of Home Affairs says those who have exhausted all avenues to remain in Australia are expected to depart Australia voluntarily. Back in Gatton, the men are finishing up lunch. Long-time supporter and local Bangladeshi businessman Simon Zaman turns up soon after. Someone ministerial intervention has been failed. At an impromptu meeting in the lounge room, he tries to lift everyone's spirits. They are putting, banging their head to a wall. Don't feel like that. Don't be afraid. You think some people are being pushed to the limit now with this hopelessness and, and the Absolute, situation? Absolutely. If you put your feet in their shoes and you are limbo for the last 10 years, you don't know where you're going to end up. How do you feel? You ask yourself. You will have the answer. I don't have to tell you anything. National regional reporter Nathan Morris there, reporting from Gatton in Queensland. This initial will be yours forever. Hi girls, welcome to my live. Don't skip this video. Let's show them how we get down. I have some amazing news for you guys. Find the red heart. Everyone, it's my birthday. The Chinese-owned social platform TikTok has taken the world by storm with millions of users using it every day. The thirst for fame is resulting in some users doing all sorts of crazy things, including, believe it or not, crocodile wrangling. And although people are watching, with one video watched 100,000 times, their activities are not legal. One of these amateur croc wranglers, Jaden Wilson, today was sentenced in a Queensland court. In one of his videos, you can see him in low light in shorts and thongs, creeping along the banks of the Ross River in Townsville with a lasso in his hand. Eventually, he lassoes a freshwater croc. These videos were played to the Townsville court today and our reporter, Chloe Chimiki, was there for the sentencing. Now, Chloe, do you mind taking me back to how it came about that this 27-year-old Jaden Wilson was charged? How did that come about? Well, his TikTok videos, Sinead, were actually the subject of a complaint to the RSPCA, the 
court heard today. The Department of Environment and Science became aware of that complaint and then it was quite easy to find the TikTok videos attached to his name uh, that had been posted between 2020 and, and 2021 of him catching or attempting to catch freshwater crocodiles in the Ross River in Townsville. And he was then issued with a warrant. They seized his phone and became aware of longer videos, the raw videos that hadn't been posted to social media and particularly TikTok, uh, and then they decided to proceed with the case. So now today he ends up in court, he's in the court in Townsville, and it's, it was sentencing today, you were there to watch it, but as part of that sentencing, they played these videos, this dozen or so videos, what was it that you saw? So in the videos that were played to the courtroom, you can see Jaden Wilson holding juvenile crocodiles against his leg and sort of coaxing them to bite him and text that reads uh, that kind of insinuating that freshwater crocodiles aren't as dangerous as they're being made out to be uh, as he's holding one against his leg and and coaxing it to bite him. And then we also see him jumping into the Ross River and seizing a slightly larger juvenile freshwater crocodile. And then we do see him actually roping uh, with with a lasso uh, a a quite large freshwater crocodile, well over a metre in size, um, which appears to be on the bank of that river system. I understand the magistrate took quite a tone with Jaden Wilson today. Yes, well, the lawyers representing Jaden Wilson uh, told Magistrate Ross Mack that uh, Wilson was unaware that this activity was illegal at the time he was doing it and posting it on TikTok. Um, But that was very quickly rejected by Magistrate Ross Mack, who said that everyone north of Byron Bay knows that you can't take crocodiles. It's important to note here that the majority of these crocodiles that were taken are understood to have been released back into the Ross River. There there weren't strong allegations that he had taken any crocs uh, and not returned them to the Ross River. Uh, But Ross Mack definitely was uh, not willing to accept that Jaden Wilson wasn't aware that this was illegal. He also uh, was considering whether, uh, whether what, what kind of sentence to impose. And he said the main issues were deterrence and denunciation, which his sentence had to reflect. Although he did say that Only an idiot would carry out these kind of activities. So he wasn't overly worried that there would be a lot of copycats to these videos. But he did say there may be a cohort of people out there who may be willing to pursue similar things. Have they been removed from TikTok, the videos themselves? Until recently, the ABC has been able to access these videos on TikTok. Uh, As far as we're aware, they're still online and available for the public. Uh, There was no mention of what should happen with that in the courtroom today. Uh, But Jaden Wilson was fined $12,000 and convicted of the charges with convictions being recorded. And Chloe, just out of interest, what would be the maximum penalty for taking a protection? animal like a croc or like a freshwater croc? 
Yes, and this was a point of interest for Magistrate Ross Mack today because the prosecution was calling for Jaden Wilson to be fined $20,000. His lawyers asked for him to be fined between three dollars and $5,000. So before handing down his sentence, Magistrate Ross Mack asked that question and the court heard that the maximum penalty for taking a protected animal is a fine of $163,000. Now, Jaden Wilson wasn't subject to that level of a fine today. He was fined $12,000, as I told you earlier. And was he in court? He was in court. He did appear in person as required. He didn't make a comment outside and didn't speak on his own behalf. His lawyers spoke on him his behalf today. Chloe Chmiki in Townsville, thanks for bringing this story to Australia Wide. Thank you. You're listening to ABC Australia Wide. Rural communities across Australia have been experiencing GP shortages for decades. But as so many struggle to hold on to doctors, the central Queensland town of Theodore is not only attracting GPs, but is also keeping them. Rachel McGee has this story. Bruce Chater has made rural general practice his life's work. I've been working for really 30 years to try and get the evidence base for what works for getting doctors out into rural areas. And really it comes down to inspiration and I hope that's what I've provided a bit of. Dr Chater has been the principal doctor at the Theodore Medical Centre for more than 40 years as rural communities nearby struggled to attract and retain GPs, he's managed to build a clinic that not only enticed young doctors towards a career in the bush, but kept them. You cannot be what you cannot see. So if you can't actually feel it and understand it and what a good practice it is and what a nice town it is, then you're not going to be attracted to it. And that's half the battle. Dr Chater puts the success down to a family-friendly culture, good infrastructure, a consistent flow of medical students and healthy work-life balance. As he faces retirement, he's preparing to hand the stethoscope over to a new doctor in town. I wanted to make sure that Theodore's got a viable service in the future and I'm almost brings tears from my eyes. I'm really proud of Liz. She's got the right stuff. She does a really good job. Elizabeth Clarkson grew up on the Sunshine Coast, studied in Brisbane and moved to Theodore two years ago, where she's now learning the ropes to become the new principal doctor. So there's certainly big shoes to step into, um, but it's certainly, it's exciting. It's also a challenge. Um, I know that he has, and Anne have built up such a fantastic practice over the last um, four decades or so, but I think it's good to have high aspirations as well and to try and achieve some something of what they've achieved as well over the years. She hopes to be the steady face Dr Chater has been for the past 42 years. The the practice was, um, it really opened my eyes to what real practice could be um, and a mix of not just general practice but also the hospital work which I really love and the mix of emergency medicine so all of that really appealed to me. I'm really happy that I'm raising you know my daughter and we've got another one on the way in a in a really nice small town and it's got a really good community feel. The Theodore Medical Centre is relatively well staffed for a rural town with the equivalent of two and a half full-time doctors. The idea of having a doctor in a town should be dead 
it's not a viable thing. Um, and I think there should be at least three doctors in every town. And that's cheaper than one locum. Three full-time doctors is cheaper than one locum. So I think that's what it needs to be in the future. The Rural Doctors Association of Queensland President Matt Maisel says one of the problems impacting the rural GP shortage was the struggle for retiring doctors to find a new GP to take over a clinic. He says part of the solution is looking at places like Theodore where general practice is thriving. There are very successful and thriving rural health services and we need to look and see why those work. Places like Theodore, for example, there is success and we've been looking and and talking about what it's bringing those successes and how do we extend that to those places where uh, there are some struggles. Dr Chater is one of the authors of a new study published in the peer-reviewed British medical journal which shows that where a medical student is trained can have a huge impact on where they work as a doctor. The study found those who did two years of training in the regions were seven times more likely to choose to work in regional Australia. In my role as the Professor of Rural and Remote Medicine at the University of Queensland, we're really pushing now to get students out right from first year because they need to know how much fun it is. He says this is where having a healthy work-life balance at the practice is crucial. If a student comes out to a place that's only got one doctor and sees that doctor getting burnt out all the time, that's not a good role model. Dr Maisel says pay disparity between those who choose a career in general practice practice and other specialist roles is also a major issue impacting the doctor shortage. That can be improved significantly though if we can ensure that rural careers are as attractive as other careers in medicine. That means recognising that rural doctors are specialists in their fields providing broad and complex uh, services under quite challenging situations. I think that's really important because until we have that, there's a barrier to attracting our next cohort of doctors to go into what I think is the most rewarding career, that's rural medicine. It is tough times. I I won't gild the lily. The Medicare rebates are still not what they should be. Rural doctors are still not recognised at the same level as specialists, um, even though we're specialists in our own area. Um, There's a whole lot of other yeah, kind of imposts like payroll tax and things that's recently come in. So there's a whole lot of things that are kind of up against us a bit at the moment. Um, But Liz recognises that with all of that, it's a good little practice that's satisfying and provides an adequate income for her and her family. Hope to, to live up to some of the expectations for the people of Theodore as well. Rachel McGee reporting there from Theodore in Queensland. Let's head to New South Wales now, where flooding has impacted large parts of the state. Along the Darling River, a number of properties have been cut off for months. The water has had a restorative impact on the landscape, with areas like Menindi, Wilcania and Tilpa to the north getting their best soak in decades. Bill Ormond takes a journey up the Darling to discover how different communities have managed the flood. A free-flowing, full Darling River near Menindi is a spectacular sight flooding paddocks four kilometres on end. An event like this comes roughly once in a decade and is a site local savour. More than 200 kilometres of river has burst its banks since the middle of last year. 
It couldn't be more different to the sick river which suffered through the dramatic fish kills of 2019. Three years ago we were in a solid drought so we had no water in the river. <laughs> exactly opposite. But, you know, that's, that's living on the land. Barb Arnold has been boating in and out of her property, Bindara on the Darling, since June. It means if I want to go anywhere, it means a nine and a half k trip downstream to where my vehicle is. Barb runs goats on her station south of Menindee, but her business has essentially stopped since last year. We were caught out a little bit because how high it was going to come and how high it actually came was is a little bit different. So I've got goats spread around in different places. You know, I've got some over here on a hill and got some over there on a hill and a few in between over there and there. And so, yeah, it'll wait till the water goes down and put them all back together in, in the right paddocks. The Darling River has reached levels not seen locally since 1976. With roads around the region cut and her homestead surrounded by water, it's meant Barb Arnold's station stay business has also been paused. She's hoping it'll restart in the middle of the year. Our farm stay business has been null and void since April or May or something like that. So once the roads are cut, the public can't use them, the public can't come. And so our business is put on hold. And so we've been on hold all that long time. Not that she's complaining. She's enjoyed the return of a huge number and variety of birds she hasn't seen since before the drought. We've got over 152 different species of bird that come here. Not all live here all the year round, some just migrate here to, to um, nest, which is lovely. And while the birds have returned, so too have the fish, including the introduced and environmentally destructive carp. They have bred in epic proportions. Yes, it's been such a long flood, both in the Murray and in the Darling system, that carp have had essentially a non-stop two-year window to breed up. Ian Ellis works along the Darling River for New South Wales Fisheries. He saw the fish kills of 2019 and has watched carp numbers in the system explode. And when the rivers are in the channels, they don't breed up in huge numbers. They prefer this shallow stuff like where we're sitting now. They get out in that warm stuff and, and the adults will lay their eggs, which will sit in that warm water and, and develop very quickly. And while millions are breeding across the state, he says many will die over the coming months as water returns into the river. They've probably overdone it and there are too many of them. They haven't yet worked out in the 50, 60 years they've been here that when the water starts to drop, you're going to be stuck and you're going to dry out. So a lot of smaller fish are being stranded and dying, which is great. But we will see a noticeable jump in the, in the population for the next three or four years. With the Menindee Lakes sitting at 103% capacity, it's not just carp benefiting from the conditions. Native species are also thriving. When they fill up, they're so nutritious, they're warm. Baby fish that drift into there don't have to fight the current, they're full of food. So you get this mass survival during flood events or high flow events. The Menindee Lakes and the Lower Darling are crucial to the Murray Cod and the Golden Perch that most people love. And I don't think you'll speak to anyone that isn't happy to see yabbies going nuts again at the moment. Ian and other fishery staff are monitoring the river as the water comes back into the Darling off the floodplains. They're particularly watching what oxygen levels are doing to avoid any potential blackwater events where fish suffocate. When the flood finally recedes, it's like when you've washed your dog, you pour the bucket out, the very last bit of water's got all the dirt and the muck in it. That's coming in as the flood 
recedes and that adds more carbon to the system, more sediment, more nutrients which help feed the algal blooms that are probably going to occur. It's not just fishery staff who are watching the river. Barkindji man Eddie Harris grew up on these banks north of Menindi at Wilcannia. Yeah, it's life. Yeah. People always up and down to the river, fishing, camping. You know, our mob from away come home and set up camp down the river. He says when the river is running, the mood in town completely changes. I go away a lot, but I always come home to the river and, uh, yeah, that's where I get all my, you know, strength from, visions. Um, you know, when it's, when it's flowing, we are more active on what we do in community here, um, you know, black and white. Yeah. Eddie Harris says while the river is flowing, it's seen better days. He's hoping communities up and down the Murray-Darling Basin come together to ensure water continues to run into the future. I think we're all in this together. But if we could sit down and make sure that it keeps flowing, coming through, just by looking at the colour of the water, we know it's sick. While the river has dropped significantly, there are still solid flows and more than enough for the local kids. Our reporter Bill Ormond there on the banks of the Darling River in New South Wales. And that's Australia Wide for this Tuesday. Remember, you can podcast Australia Wide on the ABC Listen app. Head to the ABC Listen app. And while you're there, why not hit subscribe? I'm Sinead Mangan. I hope you have a lovely evening. Cheerio. This is an ABC podcast.